May I speak in the name of God, who is lover, beloved, and love-sharer. Amen. Those of you who were here two weeks ago will remember that I told you that I'd been asked to sum up my understanding of my ministry in one sentence. And you know, those of you who are familiar with me, that if you can say one thing well in one sentence, you can say it better in three. (laughs) My understanding is that my ministry calls me into a personal relationship with God. And that that relationship is lived out within community. And that community sits in a place of tension between the tradition we receive and the challenges of the lives that we live. The past, the present, and the future. We sit in the tension of the present. The living tradition comes to us from the past and exercises an influence over the way we live our lives in the present. But our task in the present is to encounter the tradition in such a way that we come to interpret it to enable us to live Christian lives in the 21st century. On the other side of the present is the future. And the future continually breaks into the present in the form of the expectations of the kingdom. And one of the ways that we are empowered to encounter the tradition is through the issues that living in the present raise. And it is through those issues, I believe, that the expectations of the kingdom enter into our lives. Now, you'll remember two weeks ago, we heard about Jesus' healing of this woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And you remember that Jesus and the leader of the synagogue had an argument about whether Jesus was allowed to do this. The issue was not the healing of the woman, but the healing of the woman on the Sabbath day, because in order to do so, Jesus broke the commandment of Moses to keep the Sabbath day holy. But Jesus' argument was, what more fitting action for the Sabbath day? Not to cure someone of their physical deformity, but to free them from the bondage of Satan. Which, of course, you remember, was the bondage of the woman's impurity. Her deformity made her impure in the Jewish law. 
And remember, we explored this as an example of the way Jesus takes the events of the here and now to interpret the living tradition in order to release it from the binding of Satan, which is the hardness of the human heart. So all the way through the Gospels, we see Jesus relating to the tradition in this way. He interprets it for the present, and in so doing, always interprets it in a way that interprets out the tendency of the hardness of the human heart to turn tradition into something that oppresses us and burdens us instead of something that liberates us. Now, some of you have commented on that sermon thanking me for those insights. And Episcopalians are very comfortable when we read how Jesus interprets the tradition in a way that interprets out the tendency of the hardness of human hearts to turn it into something oppressive. We are a tradition of Christians who seek to humanize the tradition. And we particularly like the way Luke attends to the the human dimension of the encounters that he reports. And as Episcopalians, we warm to this Jesus. Ours is a very human interpretation of Christianity. And we are at home with there not being easy answers. In fact, we're hugely relieved that life requires skillful negotiation of a world of gray rather than being locked into the certainties of a world of black and white. We embrace culture and are passionate advocates for the interpreting out of the hardness of the heart. And yet, our mood changes to one of unease when we encounter Jesus proclaiming the expectations of the kingdom. We puzzle at his call for us to take up our cross, to follow him on the road of discipleship. We don't usually think of ourselves as disciples. That's a little too intense for us. Passages such as the one from Luke 14, 25 to 33 really disturb us. And if we allow ourselves to pay attention to it, we are left with a profound sense of unease. Because our response is to take comfort in Jesus' use of hyperbole as a teaching tool. Whispering reassuringly to one another that when Jesus says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife or children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even life itself, he or she cannot be my disciple. And we say to each other, well, he doesn't really mean that. 
He's just exaggerating for effect. But yes, Jesus does mean what he says. And if he teaches and demonstrates the humanizing of tradition, he also calls for the radicalization of culture through the expectation of the coming of God's kingdom. And we welcome the expectations of the kingdom through embarking on the path of discipleship. This is a path that requires us to place relationship with Christ as our first and highest priority. Only if we do this can we become agents of the kingdom. Now, Episcopalians may not have much enthusiasm for the notion of discipleship, especially because those Christians who do give it such a bad name. Yet we really do care about the coming of the kingdom. We are a Christian tradition that is passionate about social justice and the eradication of discrimination that results in the evils of racism, sexism, homophobia, and poverty. It's not possible for us to ignore Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom and the radical implications of the expectations of the kingdom for our culture. Neither is it enough to explain away his words as simply the use of hyperbole, although that is also true. So what is the way forward for us in relation to this text and other texts in which Jesus proclaims kingdom expectations? At Trinity, today it feels like summer is passing. I'm a little disappointed because at 8 o'clock when I was preaching, I had the full approval of God thundering in the heavens. <laughs> but there are two things that sum up the passing of summer for me here at Trinity. The first is the return of the choir after what seems like an interminable summer recess. The second is that we enter that period of our life together when we move into the program for annual renewal. Now, financial stewardship is a significant element in our annual renewal. Following the custom developed last year, we will commence the annual renewal program on October the 6th, and we will run to the Sunday before Thanksgiving. A departure from previous years means that we will have a pretty clear draft budget for 2014 ready at the start of the renewal process. That's because I do not want anyone to be unaware of the gravity of the financial challenges that we are going to be facing in 2014. It is urgent that we meet the financial challenges that are coming. Yet we will not do so if we only rely on those who can afford to be generous. The only way we will grow into the challenges in 2014 is through taking seriously Christ's call to discipleship. Generosity 
without gratitude is not sufficient. We talk about ourselves as members. Well, members can and are generous. But only disciples experience and are able to express gratitude. And you may have noticed on the banners on the side of the cathedral opposite the station the words gratitude, generosity, and service because gratitude is what we feel in relationship to God which expresses itself as generosity in service. For me, the pivotal section of this morning's gospel which is God's invitation to us to have a conversation as a community, comes at the very end when Jesus says, so therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Unfortunately, the English translation of the word used here for possessions is possessions. But that Greek word also can be translated as possessing. You see, possessions make us think about things that need to be given up. Possessing implies that what is to be given up is not a thing, but possession itself. Our relation to possessions lies not in having them, but in the meaning and importance we give them, our attitude towards them. And the same is true of our human relationships. Our relationship with the people we call husbands, wives, sons, daughters, brothers and sisters becomes a spiritual problem when we seek to possess them. What offends many of us when we hear the phrase family values is the way this phrase operates as a shortcut a shorthand for relationships of control and possession. We we possess others when we see them as objects to satisfy our need for security. We glory in them as extensions of our own needs, thus bringing us social approval and acceptance. However, relationships are gifts to be enjoyed, not possessions to be controlled. And even our own life is a gift which is given back to us again and again. The danger is of clinging to a view of our life which is the result of our own self-assertion, our own self-satisfaction, something we earn and the success of which is under our control. So it's not so much a matter of hating, in the literal meaning of that word, the members of our families. 
Jesus is inviting us instead to see our relationship, our possessions, our own life as the flowing from the priority we give to the longing to love God. As Augustine puts it, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find their rest in Thee. And the message of the gospel this morning is this. Success does not lie in numbers. Numbers of followers. In fact, numbers alone pose a danger because nothing attracts like success. And success alone will not provide the staying power and stamina needed to bring about the expectations of the kingdom. The problem lies not in family relationships, but in the attitude we harbor towards others as objects and possessions. And if we cling to our relationships and even our own life as something to congratulate ourselves on having earned through hard work and self-improvement, we will lose the only thing that is certain, the enjoyment of life as gift and the fruitfulness of life that flows from this. And as a community of Christians, we will not be able to fulfill our passion for the coming of the kingdom unless we first accept the call to discipleship. The kingdom is not furthered simply by our being good people, doing what good people like to do. We must become disciples. And we do so through our membership together of the body of Christ, which is the self-denying, cross-bearing community of Christ's presence in the world. And here, it's manifest at the corner of Central and Roosevelt. This alone defines us as a community of disciples. Discipleship alone has the power to provide us with the resources that we will need to face into our future and to complete the task that God calls us to. Discipleship is an expectation of the kingdom of God. And through responding to the call to follow Christ, the expectations of the coming of the kingdom break into the present as we daily pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.